This is Purple Radio On Demand. Hello and welcome to the Durham Student Art Prize podcast. The Student Art Prize runs every year and it is open to any student of Durham University to participate. I am your host, A.V. Join me as I talk to some of the shortlisted candidates and winners about their artwork, their art practice and anything in between. The theme for the Durham Student Art Prize 2022 to 2023 is Sanctuary. Today with um, our first uh, creative is the photographer Mark Pook with your pieces uh, Osaka Castle Sanctuary in the City. Um, and could you just uh, describe this piece for us? How do you see it in your mind's eye? Yeah, so this piece was kind of something that I'd been looking forward to for a really long time. Um, I really wanted to go to Osaka. It's where my girlfriend was raised. And I always saw a sort of... Uh, a final destination sort of place. If I go there, then I've made it. Mm. <laughs> so finally getting there and finally being able to just take that shot was amazing, first of all. Um, I'd say the piece means a lot to me because of that and specifically because it's where my girlfriend grew up. It was kind of the place where I felt like I finally got to see what made her who she is, her surroundings mm. and her environment. Um, I got to meet her family for the first time, which was nice. So, yeah, that piece contains a lot of good memories, emotion, and a lot of previous hard work. Mm. Could you just tell us quickly like what it looks like visually? Yeah, sure. So the piece in the center is Osaka Castle, which is one of the most famous castles in Japan and kind of the centerpiece of the city. It's a very traditional-looking castle. Um, if you've ever seen a Japanese castle before, it's very similar. But unlike many of the traditional Japanese buildings you see, it's a bluish green color um, with gold highlights. And surrounding the castle are some trees, both in the foreground at the top and in the background at the bottom to try and frame it. So our next artist is uh, Anna Clark with her piece Terminal 21. Um, yes, yeah, so could you just uh, describe this piece to us? Um, the piece has buildings either side, left and right, and then in the middle there's like a big busy road. Yeah, and there's not really any cars. I decided to do more like the light movement. Mm. And yeah. And uh, where is this Terminal 21? It's in Bangkok, so super busy city. But at the time it was super peaceful because it was about 11 at night. So it's just super strange atmosphere, just super peaceful. Mm, like a liminal space kind of situation. Yeah. And thirdly, we have um, another photographer, Martin Endersby, with their piece, Joe. Could you just tell us about uh, your photo? Yeah, so um, it's a shot from when I was in Paris on Year Abroad. Um, it's part of my degree. I do French and Spanish. And um, it's it's of my, my best mate, Joe. Um, so we were just kind of having a, a wander about. It was about this time last year, so it was absolutely boiling. And we just found like a shaded spot in a park um, near where I worked. And, and he would just happen to be kind of laying down I think we were listening to to some music just off someone's phone speaker and um he just looked super tranquil and also because of his like um his baseball cap it just reminded me a bit of um I don't know if anyone listens to Sufjan Stevens uh kind of singer-songwriter queer singer-songwriter um and he's just 
there's photos of him with this really lopsided baseball cap. And it just reminded me, because Joe's was at the right angle, he just looked super peaceful. And I, I think that music is quite sometimes quite peaceful as well. So I wanted to get a shot that just kind of maybe captured how chill he was if I was trying to capture anything at all. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a black-and-white film shot. Joe's kind of lying down on some grass. It, the, the focal point is just closer than than the edge of like Joe's shirt, which is entirely because I got it wrong rather than <laughs> it being on purpose, but it looks nice. So, yeah. Yeah, it looks, looks purposeful. Um, yeah, great. So that's uh, everyone here today. So I think my first question is, Kind of for all of you, so all of, because I feel like all of these pieces, they're sort of like a moment captured in time. So I just kind of want to know about like what was happening like directly before you took the shot and like what was going through your mind or not the shot or like um, Anna, like when you were first in that moment where you saw like Terminal 21, the way, the way that you would then paint it, like what was, um, how do you like remember that moment, I suppose? I guess I was just wandering around the streets of Bangkok and I was with my boyfriend, so it was just really nice, super just peaceful really and I saw the bright lights and there was just nice contrast and against like the dark skies so I just thought it'd be super pretty to paint mm. just super fun because of the different shapes and things I was also wandering around with my girlfriend so there's a sort of theme running so far mm. um yeah I was just wandering around the castle trying to take photos and a security guard noticed me trying to reach up as high as I could <laughs> and struggling to get those treetops in the frame um, and at the time it was in the middle of COVID and Japan had very strict restrictions on who can enter so there was basically nobody there as far as tourists go mm. um, so he wandered over to me and said hey if you want to climb this thing you can there's nobody here <laughs> so I was nice. very grateful for that because I got to clamber up this wall and really get the shot I was looking for mm-hmm. yeah it seems pretty lucky like the uh, security guard <laughs> aiding you in your quest. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say that, but <laughs> why? No one tells this yeah, guy's employer. <laughs> the, the single, um, the single security guard that works outside Oscar mm. Castle. A big fan of art. Mm, yeah. Um, Patron of the arts. <laughs> Patron of the arts. Yeah. Uh, I guess on my end, yeah. So it was um, Joe and, and my other friend Sarah were, were visiting me, which I think was it was right at the end of my stay in Paris. Um, and I think that that was a really important time for me because I think I needed those those times of grounding when I was lucky to have friends visit me while I was abroad because it all felt kind of um, quite adrift and, and very independent and hard to get the same connection that you get with friends kind of in your first language um, when when you're living in a second language. So I think, like, I kind of spent weeks a month or two looking forward to that and I guess that kind of sense of peace and finally feeling comfortable with the city around me like was was the context for for that visit and I think the photos is more capturing that visit than yeah it is if it represents anything it's kind of that that stay that they had at my place in Paris Mm mm-hmm um, Anna, I was interested that you're like usually, it's like you're a land, landscape artist primarily, yeah. um, but you do usually paint like sort of, um, I suppose, quite like pastoral scenes at nature. Yeah, um, I normally do like trees, waterfalls, yeah. Mm. 
going yeah. city was a bit out there. Yeah, so I just thought that was interesting and in that it's sort of, I suppose, out of your comfort zone in multiple ways, but then that makes it like so much more of an interesting piece than a sort of like, because you could, I guess, um, find like a, you know, a nice painting of like a landscape, like, oh yeah, of course, it's like sanctuary at nature, but... I think it's because I live in the middle of nowhere, so mm. every day I'm surrounded by trees. So it's just, I take inspiration from that. So to go to the city, like a big one, it was just really, mm. it was just a different place completely. That's something that struck me about your work was like the the sense of, of sanctuary in the in the kind of metropolitan um, landscape, which I also, I've pretty much always lived in the middle of nowhere and sometimes I find it oppressively quiet almost um so i i tend to find that sanctuary when i get to cities but it, it was interesting to see someone take that angle because i i also expected a lot of kind of um works of you know people lying down on grass of which mine is one and there was actually some others in the exhibition which were really great but i was um glad to see that representation i think it's um there's actually that for me looking at your work like a political aspect emerges because for me, some of finding sanctuary in the city is is a queer thing. Um, you know, I feel like in the middle of Devon where I live, I find it quite hard to feel at home in myself and I kind of go into a shell a bit. Whereas if I go to somewhere like Manchester, which is where I'm hoping to move, um, I feel actually as, you know, as busy, as intense as it is and the kind of lights in, in your photo and the logos and, and your painting and the logos and things show that I think there is a kind of piece that I find personally in that space that I think your work really spoke to for me I think that's really important is we're all surrounded by so much technology now so much building going on construction everywhere's going through some kind of development and a lot of people feel trapped in the city mm. and being able to represent the city as a place of peace and sanctuary um, for you both and for other people, I think is really neat. Mm. Martin, if I can ask you. Um, so you're mostly a, a portrait photographer, would you say? I, I photograph things when I have my camera around. And I, mm. I guess I like portrait photography. But my friends are all too camera shy a lot of the time, bless mm. them. Mm. Let's say that, you know, because your photo in a sense um, probably is, you could say is a photo encapsulating something about Joe or yeah in that sense um could you maybe talk about um like your process more generally for how you would go about taking a picture of someone like sort of what what are your aims for that like what are you trying to capture honestly I think that's the thing is I would love to be able to say that my creative practice like my creative practice is really um is really trying to capture something and honestly it's just trying to get a photo of someone a lot of the time I think um I don't I'd love to give myself more space and and be a little more I don't know about pushy but committed to you know I'm gonna really get something from this portrait I kind of go oh well that light seems all right and like you know Joe or my other friends like look cool um so it's just taking it, and I think a lot of meaning for me is, is put in retroactively yeah. um, for my work. I've just realized I gesture really hard, which <laughs> doesn't really work for a podcast. Um, yeah, I think, like, you know, any, the, the kind of sense of that photo conveying, like, my friendship with Joe, for example, if it's there before I, say, write that um, caption, 
then it's there kind of subconsciously or it's there in like the context that I take the photo in. Mm -hmm. um, I guess there's a degree to which like, you know, someone who I'm not as close with probably wouldn't be chill with me just like lying down a weird angle on the floor trying to get a get a photo of them while they're just like resting. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's not always as conscious an effort as as perhaps I would like it to be. I think I, I want to like engage creatively more thinking like Rudy um purposefully but as it stands i'm kind of quite casual about my photography i guess that's nice though it does seem like like the the like process is going on somewhere if, if even if it's not on like a conscious level especially if you like yeah. find yourself noticing things after the fact and For sort sure. of like they are in there yeah and i and i also like i will i i will defend like placing retroactive meaning on something to the death like i'm i'm very tired of people judging art by the amount of effort that went into it um i don't believe in that as a particularly helpful value metric of value for art um so i'm very happy you know like writing that caption i perhaps got a lot more value out of that than i do from taking most of the photos themselves because it was almost just a meditative or like very mindful thing about like well if i really sit down with this photo and think about it in terms of sanctuary what does that mean and that's where a lot of the value came out for me mm. um mark in terms of your photography how do you have this sort of idea about i guess spontaneity like when when does the meaning come in for your work um there are certainly moments when i see something that i know i just have to take a photo of um, just this week I ran out in like 10 minutes after sunrise up by Old Durham Gardens and behind there on the country lane because I knew there was a photo I wanted to take. I got invited to a party that day and I was so exhausted by the time I got back that I just mm -hmm. didn't go. But I knew I had to take that photo so I went and took it as soon as the sun came up. But I'd say for the most part um, I just pick a day, take out my camera and then I'm constantly just hunting around for anything I could possibly take a photo of, looking at everything from multiple angles and thinking, where would this look good? Mm -hmm. um, honestly, on a normal day, I could take about 300 photos and then cut it down to about three. <laughs> <laughs> That's so wild to me as a film photographer. Yeah. Because I've shot, I think in the last couple months, like maybe seven photos <laughs> like um and and similarly i sometimes i take my camera out and most of the time i don't so that's when i'm taking my photos but on a day where i take my camera out and i take seven photos i'm like oof, that was a lot today <laughs> like yeah that's that's like five pounds worth of film all in all you know um, in this economy uh, yeah that's like the idea of taking 300 in the process of having to like filter it all down terrifies me which is why i can't really do digital right now it's awful I, i'll be honest <laughs> it's awful because i'm constantly looking for something to take a photo of and thinking about how might this look good how might it look different to what we see every day when we just walk past it um and a lot of the time i like the photos and then i go home and i'm like okay i don't like this photo I like this one though, so I'll edit that. And then I'm like, actually, I don't like this photo anymore. Mm. And it just goes down and down and down and down. 
I actually did buy a film camera just a couple of weeks ago to try and yeah. get rid of this bad habit. So I'm starting to understand your feeling too of um, being very limited in what I can take and when I can take yeah. it. And speaking of limited. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> limited in, in what sense? Mark? In the sense that as a photographer, I can take as many shots as I want. Yeah. I'm only limited by the SD card size. Or by yeah, in my case, by roll yeah. the film. Yeah. You have to spend a lot of time doing one thing. And then if you get halfway through and you're like, oh, I don't really like it. I've got so many half-finished paintings I have to go back to, mm -hmm. but we'll just see if I ever find time for it. Because I always find something new that I want to paint more than whatever I just half-painted, so, yeah. Yeah, but think about smaller canvases. Uh, that's true, but then you can't really put a small canvas on the wall. Like, oh, that but desirable. wouldn't that be kind of cool? Oh, maybe <laughs> Mini gallery? <laughs> yeah, tiny, tiny landscape. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm fascinated by artists and the limitations they work within. I like to tell people I take photos because I can't do real art. Um, I've made that joke so many <laughs> times. I think every photographer does. But it, yeah, it fascinates me that somebody can take a canvas and just create something that looks as good or better than any photograph and do it within the limitation of just having basically one shot. You can change things or quit halfway through and move on to something else, but yeah, it's amazing to me, quite frankly. Yeah, I think I have the, I feel like I have the easy job out of the three of us because on either side of me, there's like a different kind of fear, which is like, you know, one, the idea of taking 300 photos and you have to filter them down to three for the day. That's terrifying. But then there's also this terror of like, oh man, that's like, you know, a week to a year on a canvas and like what if I don't finish it like I feel like I'm in a nice middle spot here where I mm. take like a few photos a month and that's my output and then I edit them on snapseed of all things because I just <laughs> want to put the minimal effort into that and hope they come out all right it's not quite scary like knowing that you have such a limited amount of photos though you feel like find the moment or do you find that freeing I think there's a couple ways you could look at it. I guess for someone who is more intentional about their photographic practice than me, then maybe there's a fear of it, which some people get around by effectively throwing money at the problem by just shooting doubles, triples on film. But you then start getting into the realm of having to filter down again. Mm. Um, but I suppose, I don't know, I try not to get FOMO about my photos too much. I think that's one thing I've learned because like the camera that I shot that image on is it's older than my dad. Um, and the shutter, if you shoot at any shutter speed above like 125 or 250, there's like shutter drag. And it, it either at best you lose a little edge of the photo and it might look cool. At worst, you lose basically the entire shot and it's just black. Um, so I've just got used to losing enough photos now that I call it like, I don't know, like I... I just think of it as a part of my practice that I'm not going to get everything that I shot. Workplace has it. Yeah, for sure. Anna, if I can ask you, is there anything that you, because we're talking about intentionality, is there anything that you like took out or put in intentionally or that you like amplified, I suppose, anything like that? I took out the cars. There would have been a lot of headlights, <laughs> a lot of cars, yeah. I took out the people as well because I thought it looked more, I guess... It was more like a peaceful scene without the people. Like, mm -hmm. it wasn't as busy. 
it's just more just focusing on the buildings, like the atmosphere. Mm. So, yeah. Because were you going for the feel of the city as you experienced it? Yeah. Yeah. Because it was late at night, few people, so just didn't seem like the typical Bangkok during the city, which is overflowing with people. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I thought that definitely carries over that, like, sort of... It's almost like, yeah, like, like a mental picture as well as, like, a physical one of, like, how you saw it in the moment, like, how the, like, lights and colours, like, impact your thinking, I suppose. Yeah. I did notice the lights and the signs seemed very pronounced. I mean, that's... A very strong imagery people have of Asian cities is the neon lights and the big signs and the crowded cities. Is that something you wanted to purposely bring out? Do you find peace in that? Or? Yeah, I really like colours, so yeah. I always try and bring out the colours, whether it's they're dull or I just want to make them a lot brighter. Because I think that's what people look at, is always the colours and the scenery and things. How do you feel about the Citibank logo? in there because oh, yeah. to um, me I look at it and start <laughs> politically spiraling like but I was wondering because it's it's it you know compositionally speaking it's very like it for me it's the first thing I I'm drawn to in that in that canvas um but it gives me it, it, it's it's cool it's one of those pieces of art that is at once kind of sanctuary but also quite unsettling um in that sense because I find that logo kind of very prominent yeah, the Citibank logo I wasn't sure about. I wasn't sure whether to keep it or not. I kept looking at it, wasn't sure if it looked right, but I just decided to keep it in the end. Yeah. I think it's good to have in there because to me it drags back this, you know, as much as we talk about the city being a place of sanctuary, like it's covered in adverts, it's covered in logos, and I don't find that calming at all, right? So there's... You know, both things coexist uh, very much in the same space. And in some ways, like, you know, all of those lights that you see in a city that we find so, that we find sanctuary in to some extent, they are also these adverts that are just all designed to grab your attention at a different time to a different person. They could be totally overwhelming. Um, And I think having that in the canvas to me, like, brings a lot of nuance to it. I really enjoyed I think for me personally one thing I found is that those kind of things annoy me at home and in my own country but in say Japan when I see those streets filled with lights and signs and adverts it doesn't really bother me do you think maybe the reason you in particular notice the Citibank logo and focus on that is because it's somewhat familiar to you whereas other signs just seem like um, some some other place? That's a good question. I think for me personally, maybe a few years ago, I would have been more likely to kind of, yeah, be like, oh, that's familiar, so it's boring, but this this new stuff uh, or this, this kind of advertising and things from somewhere else, like that's that can be really cool and engaging to me. But I think now I'm a little bit too, I don't know. I like to think that I see through that now and go, okay, well, it's cool because it's in a different language and it's, you know, maybe this slightly exoticizing lens um, from my positionality. But um, 
nowadays just go, oh man, that's just adverts <laughs> like that. That's just more adverts and more attention grabbing stuff. But I think that, I don't know, I think politically I have this tendency to view myself within like global systems like that, which is uh, kind of terrifying because you start feeling like, oh, it's me versus the entire world of advertising. So what am I going to do? So I, I guess I try and I do end up thinking about it all as just advertising, but I got to say it's not very fun. Mm -hmm. It is very interesting, though, that the piece was able to bring that out in you and make you think yeah. about those things. Your place within that area, what right. you would think if you were there and you saw the sign in front of you. Yeah. So I feel like it's really interesting that you were able to bring that out and at the same time show a place of sanctuary. Yeah. I've honestly never had so many opinions about that piece. So it's actually <laughs> nice to hear them all. Yeah, if I can if I can ask you, Mark, um, about your piece, because you sort of described it as all your work as um, straightforward in a sense. Or mm. I guess I would maybe describe it as deceptively simple because it like uh, looks sort of so easy and natural when I'm sure there's actually a lot of thought behind it. And that's kind of what I mean, I what I personally find so nice about this and like the composition that I've seen of, of the castle where it's like, um, it's like perfectly framed by these leaves that it's almost as if it's naturally like that but then you find out that you actually have to climb up on, on a fence to do that um, so I guess yeah I'm just wondering like is that something that you think about that sort of feeling of simplicity that you want to capture like how does that work for you? Recently it's something I'm really trying to capture it, at first I'd say it came about naturally but um, especially recently with me soon leaving Durham I've been trying to sort of capture Durham as I see it and capture it in a very simple way. With photography, we often talk about needing a strong subject or needing a good composition, needing the right lighting. There are so many restrictions that people try to place on photographers for what makes a good photograph. And it was a big source of stress when I first started. But especially as I've taken more and more photos, I found myself gravitating in the opposite direction. I don't care as much if there's a strong subject if there is then great if there isn't I don't mind it would be nice if some people walked down the street while I took a photo you know maybe if they were holding hands it would look romantic but if they're not I'm not bothered I like empty streets too um yeah and speaking of restrictions as well there's a lot of restrictions placed on photographers as far as like image quality goes mm. everyone needs the latest and greatest and I've found myself gravitating a, a lot towards reducing the quality of my photographs yeah. in post. Mm -hmm. Like I'll add grain if I want to, yeah. or I will reduce the clarity, take down the contrast, make it look more like film and mm -hmm. more like I took it with a film camera like you. Yeah. Um, I find there's um, a lot of freedom in just breaking those rules and taking a photo just mm -hmm. because I enjoy it and because that's how I see something. Yeah. Is it, I think it's a Cartier-Bresson quote that's like sharpness is a bourgeois concept. I really <laughs> like that. And it, it, I think, you know, while it's slightly annoying that if I shoot above 125, my camera will potentially ruin any photos I take, I think it is quite a nice limitation um, because, I don't know, I start like... Because all of my practice is so vibes-based, Right it's very easy to just fall into whatever the standard vibe is, which is kind of getting more, or at least in the past, it's been getting more like 
yeah, latest and greatest, sharper, more pixels, whatever. Um, this kind of keeps me out of that in my in my images. Like, yeah, my focus might be off because I think the viewfinder is a bit sketch. Um, things like that gives it a little bit of character, a little bit of personal style, even though it wasn't necessarily a conscious choice. Um, but yeah, I think like it's good to see people moving towards lower fidelity um, and uh, as film kind of booms as much as it's breaking my wallet. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, please keep, please keep shooting digital and then putting, like, putting green on it. Like, <laughs> like film's too expensive, man. <laughs> I have read somewhere that there's, like, um, like once a, a form of media, like, becomes outdated in a sense, it's, like, the things that are kind of like errors or like problems with it that then become what like endears people to it like the sign of like crackly recordings yeah, things like that and like yeah like scratched um like film i suppose yeah. so would you say it's maybe nostalgic in a, in a way for you to use film in that way i don't know about nostalgic maybe subconsciously um i got into film because my friend josh who who uh kind of that put me onto photography as a whole. This was uh, only like five, six years ago. Um, and um, I don't know. I don't know what attracted me to it. I think part of it was this feeling of like every shot I take will have some degree of quality to it. Um, I think it was the maybe the the sense of reducing quantity rather than just like there's a certain imperfection to the photos. But I do also think, like, I have been known to say that on film, like, even the mistakes look kind of cool mm. um, because you just have, there's something about it. But also as we see, like, as we see so many people shoot more film now, people with disposables, I think even that, we're moving towards that becoming a little bit saturated. Um, and I'm intrigued to see where my, I don't know, sense of, sense of, like really annoying sense of aversion to what other people are doing um takes me <laughs> when like enough people start shooting film i'm like no <laughs> before you transition to digital oh god <laughs> uh, <laughs> i have seen some people um using like really rubbish like 2000s video digital cameras mm. um and there's only a few people i've seen doing that um, and they seem really cool, but I looked at the price and they're like a grand now, so I'm not doing that. <laughs> Unless, well, someone, someone give me funding, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, drop, drop your Venmo. <laughs> <laughs> there was actually a very interesting movement in Japan and with Japanese mm. photographers in the 60s and 70s, which I did my dissertation project about, mm. where they intentionally damaged their own images in order to kind of protest this movement towards sharpness and high quality. That's so cool. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, they were called like the Provoke Collective, mm. and they featured some of Japan's most famous photographers even until this day. And a lot of the things they did with film was quite interesting. For example, while developing film, one of these photographers intentionally boiled the liquid that the film was developing in to create these bubbly, burned messes mm. to sort of evoke radioactive imagery um, mm. to comment on, like, the atomic bombings and that kind of thing. You take a regular street, you process 
the film this way and you sort of get that burnt out destroyed imagery um i, I kind of feel like that went away but we're sort of in another boom where as you said vintage photography is becoming more popular film is becoming popular and more expensive um and even all digital cameras now are shooting way up in price um oh this one has a different kind of sensor i swear the photos it takes are different and it might be but yeah it's it's funny how we keep going back and forth we try to push technology forward and then there's always a slight rebellion and a slight push to the past yeah I don't know if it's nostalgia, though, because I realized I kind of didn't answer your question, maybe. Like, I don't know if it's always conscious. Like, I don't know if nostalgia is always the primary, like, conscious driving factor for that shift. I think maybe for me it's some more kind of contrarianism, which is why I, like, wonder whether I'll move away from film as time goes on. Um, But all of that is, like a question of like the degree to which you do it anyway because like when I started film was like part way through the popularization and kind of gentrification of film like that was like six years ago and yeah like the prices doubled since I started but I was part of that wave you know um so there's always someone more off the beaten track than you doing something more different than you so I think it's better to try and not just break out of the kind of trend cycle of it, uh, of high quality to low quality, but break out of this, like, other side of the coin of it, which is the trying to be contrarian about it. Like, just maybe just make the art you want to make. I think with film, we talk a lot about these kind of restrictions yeah. as far as, like, sharpness goes and the technology you're using. I tend to think of art as being a little more free, but maybe that's just because I don't really know much about art so what what do you think do you think there's some kind of restrictions you like to break in your own art i think there definitely are still restrictions Mm. because it depends on what medium you want because when you start on a medium people expect you to do the same thing and you have to Mm -hmm. build this profile of being all of the same things such as i do acrylic and now i have to stick to acrylic but it's just one of those things but definitely with like there's a lot more like differences you can make like you can do different brush strokes and things like there's a lot more variation that you can make but just there are still boxes yeah mm. is there anything in this piece where you thought technically i i should do it this way but i'm gonna break the rules i mean i probably should have painted the cars and i was just <laughs> like i want to do lights just for the fun of it mm. but it doesn't it's, I think that's just so not me to just do the lights. I probably would have normally have done the cars. So I think that was different for me. Yeah, it's got that almost like abstract feeling with the kind of like ribbons of light running down the street instead of the cars, which is really cool. Anyone have any like closing thoughts before I do everyone's like Instagrams and stuff? I'd just like to say this whole thing has been really interesting for me to kind of not only think about my own art and why I make it and how other people see it, but also comparing it within a single topic to how other people see that topic and how they express Mm it. Um, So many people have taken completely different routes I never would have thought of. Um, So yeah, it's been extremely interesting and I think it's made me a better photographer. 
I think it's nice for me to actually consider myself an artist because I normally just paint and so it was actually nice to have the experience of writing the bio, writing the like the little description, having to think about it. It was just a different way of thinking, which was nice. Yeah, I, I really, uh, ag yeah, I really relate with that sentiment of like, it's nice to feel like an artist. It's nice to feel like a photographer because I think like from my artist bio to, to basically everything I've said here, I'm really like not a conscious practitioner of this. Um, but it's quite fun to feel like, I think it's quite enjoyable to feel like I can produce something valuable um, with all that still being the case. Uh, so, yeah, it's been really enjoyable. I'm just glad that there's some creatives in Durham because um, it's felt quite sparse at times. Maybe the uni won't let you put this out now. Um, <laughs> uh, it's getting better. Um, uh, so... Yeah, I've been I've been really glad for it as an opportunity to to meet people who are who are kind of involved in some creative practice, casual or otherwise, um, and especially those who are really pushing mediums. I think some of my favorite work in the exhibition were the textile pieces, um, mm -hmm. uh, and I was glad to see that kind of especially that kind of abstraction, which I I guess in a way I wish I was doing, um, thriving in in this environment. I think it's really cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, yeah, so where can we find you on the internet? If our listeners would like to know more about uh, Mark's work, where can we where can we find you? So I do have an Instagram, but it's private. It's just a personal one. I don't really put my photos out there much, but I do have a gallery on 500px, which is a photography website. So that would be 500px.com forward slash Mark Andrew Pook, P double OK. Um, and Anna, where can we find you? So I've got an Instagram at artwork by AMC. And Martin, can we find you anywhere? Basically, no. Um, I have an Instagram, but it's also private and I'm not going to say it here. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Elusive. They'll, they'll never catch you. I'm, I'm ethereal. They ethereal, won't find ephemeral, you. Uh, I'm in the wind. I'm in your walls. <laughs> <laughs> Find Martin in your walls. <laughs> Find me in your walls. <laughs> yeah, that's all you're getting from me. The current exhibition is now up in the Palatine Centre, uh, exhibiting 30 artists and photographers um, from this year's shortlist and this year's winners. Thank you so much for listening to the Durham Student Art Prize podcast and see you next time. Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.